Good morning, everybody. Uh, hope you're all doing well. Um, this morning's reading shall be from Mark chapter 6, verses 1 through 13. Um, please do read along if you can. Uh, if not, yeah, the word should be above my head. Anyway. He went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James and Joseph, and and Judas and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, "A A prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And he could do no no mighty works there, except that he had laid his hand on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went about among the villages teaching. And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two. And he gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except the staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you, and they will not listen to you when you leave, shake off the dust, uh, oops, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that the people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed them with oil, many who were sick and healed them. I'm now going to invite Willie up to give this morning's teaching. And yeah. right, We forgot to say it's time for Sunday school and Bible class and so forth, so uh, the children can make their way down to that. So if you keep your Bible open at this passage, because there is one further part of the reading um, that we're going to, we're going to do now, um, which is from verse 14. <clears throat> and as you think about it, there, there is a common thread, actually, that I'll, I'll try to point out, see if you can identify the common thread between these uh, three incidents. So verse 14, um, King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. Some said John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said he is Elijah. And others said he is a prophet like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. For it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death, but she could not, for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. 
When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. But an opportunity came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. For when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests, and the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it to you. And he vowed to her, Whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half of my kingdom. And she went out and said to her mother, For what should I ask? And she said, The head of John the Baptist. And she came in immediately with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry, but because of his oaths and his guests, he did not want to break his word to her. And immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. And the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. Amen. May God's word uh, touch our hearts. John, uh, Mark has a pretty uh, straightforward plan and objective in, in writing down his account of the life of Christ. Um, you, you read it in the very first verse, actually, uh, of, of the gospel here. Uh, it's a presentation of Jesus Christ, uh, the Son of God, and of, of his gospel. Uh, and I have to say, I think a fairly convincing and compelling case is made for this point. I mean, just last week, um, we learned about three different incidents. We learned, if you were just to cast your eye back to the previous chapter, about the time when there was the storm uh, on, the, on the sea, on the lake, uh, and Jesus, with a commanding word, was able to say, peace be still, and immediately uh, there was a great uh, calm. We learned about him healing the demon-possessed man who had terrorized the neighborhood so that he calmly sat at the feet of Christ uh, in his right mind. And we also read about the, the raising of Jairus' daughter from the dead. I mean, all these are remarkable incidents. Power over nature, de demonic activity, and actually raising a child uh, from the dead. And, and you would think that at the end of all of that, uh, the case was closed that there's, there's nothing else to say. That it's, it's obvious, uh, the conclusion that we all have to reach, that John's premise that this is the gospel of Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God, uh, is, is without challenge. And yet, the remarkable thing, and this is where the common thread um, is introduced with these three incidents that we've read from uh, today. Remarkably, uh, despite all of that, there is the rejection of Jesus. Uh, in the first incident that we read about his visit to Nazareth, his hometown, he is rejected in person. And uh, the next two incidents, when he sends out his messengers on their, their, their trip 
and then the death of John the Baptist, there is the rejection of the messengers of Jesus. And of course that is by extension a, a rejection uh, of, of Jesus himself. So, I mean, what is going on? I mean, why, why this seeming break, this, this, this dislocation between these overwhelming evidences of the identity of Jesus, who he is, and, and yet the rejection of, of all of that? Well, that's, that's what hopefully we're going to, to find out when we just look a little bit deeper uh, at these three incidents uh, today. And I feel this is a very pertinent and relevant topic, the rejection of, of Jesus. Uh, because I think if, if you look in particular at Western Europe, you know, where we sit, where we are, um, I mean, I think that can be written over uh, our, 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 our part of the world. Uh, that despite what once was prevalent, what was generally accepted, you know, what, you know, to some extent... Um, has, has been part of the, the way our, our, our year has unfolded, as Ashley was telling us, with, with Christian festivals and looking around at Christian buildings. Um, that by and large, all of these things have just kind of fallen into disrepair and has, have disintegrated. And, and, and that belief has disintegrated. And there now has been a widespread rejection of Christ. And his teaching, and his value, and his relevance across our, our country, and across our nation, and across this city of ours today. And perhaps among some of us who are even sitting here, despite being here today, there is a rejection of Jesus. So let, let's, let's look at this, because I think it is a, re, a very relevant topic for us to, to think about today. And it really, I think, shines a, a light on this, this whole um, subject of the rejection of Jesus. So let, let's look at the first one. Um, Jesus takes his, uh, his followers with him back to his hometown, uh, back to Nazareth. Don't know how long it's been since he's been back. And um, the disciples must have been interested you know, maybe maybe he pointed out that that was a school there that I went to. Uh, there's the there's the carpenter shop uh, where I worked. Uh, this is the home that I was brought up in, and um, here is the synagogue that I attended um, every Sabbath day. And of course, they they, they go to the synagogue, and uh, the people who are there and they acknowledge and they nod and 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 they invite him to say something on the on the Sabbath day, and initially. Uh, the response is all very positive, and, and, they're, and they're astonished, as you can as you can see there from the reading. They're they're astonished uh, and surprised um, at what he has to say. But it's not very long until the tone uh, changes, and and the, there is a significant phrase uh, that I'd just like to uh, point out, and it's found in verse number three, and it says there that they took offence. At him, so they're listening, and 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 this is the kind of reaction that that develops in their hearts. They f- they find this offensive. What he's saying, they 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 are deeply offended at what he is teaching them, 
And, and we're given the reason why they find it offensive. And, and they say, isn't this the carpenter? Aren't his mother and his brothers and sisters, and some of them are named here, are they, are they, not, are they not with us here? And that is what offended them. And, and basically what it was was this. We remember him when he was running about the streets here, playing in the playground, in the school. We, we, we know the family. They're, they're ordinary people just like us. He was a carpenter. I remember the day I brought that chair from the shop and when he fixed the table or the bed or whatever. And I remember all of that. He's just an ordinary person like we are from this little backwater village of Nazareth. And what is all this? Getting up here in front of us and, you know, pretending to know something better than us and and teaching us and telling us what to do. And, of course, his message is encapsulated, as as Mark often puts it, and repent and, and believe the gospel. And they found that offensive. They couldn't take it from him. Because their familiarity with him had blinded their eyes to the majesty and the greatness of his identity. Of who he actually was. Despite all the reports of the calming of the storm. Of the healing of the demon possessed man. Of the raising of Jairus' daughter. Despite all of that. They can't get beyond the orderliness of Christ. And that offends them. And because of that. They reject him. They reject him completely. Now, that is a very relevant point, actually, for all of us today. Being offended. We could turn to another verse in Galatians that talks about the offense of the cross. Why am I still being persecuted, says the Apostle Paul when he writes these words. Is there, is there not still something that's going on? And is it not about the offense of the message of the cross? Of course, we have emphasized that when we've come to take the bread and the, and the cup today. Focusing our attention on the importance, the centrality of the death of Christ for our sins. That the Son of God loved me. And he gave himself for me upon the cross. There is an offensiveness about that, you know, for many people. And the offensiveness runs like this. Number one, I mean, all this blood, it's, it's all so barbaric and, and, and old-fashioned. I mean, surely that can't be right. In this day and age... For us to talk about a, a sacrifice for sin, the whole idea of atonement and blood sacrifice, and, and that's kind of repulsive by and large to modern people. And we say, you know, that cannot be right. And, and we're, we, we, we're offended because of this message. And we're also offended by the fact that really what the, the message of the cross is saying is this, that it doesn't matter how good we think we are or how sophisticated we think we are or what we feel we've done, we've given to charity, we're good neighbors, we're, we're part of this and that. 
no matter what you feel you can contribute, it's, it's not sufficient. Uh, the gospel of Christ says um, it's not about what you can do. It is about what Christ has done. Uh, and what he has done in the cross is the only thing that will ever be sufficient. And you must come to the cross and you must accept that. That his body was given for you. And that his blood was poured out for you. And you must by faith embrace that he is the only saviour that can present you before God and take your sins away. And of course many people find that completely offensive and unacceptable. And because of that, they reject Christ, his message, and his gospel. That was exactly what happened at Nazareth. And that's what still can happen today. It does happen today. And Christ is rejected in our society. Second incident, and watch how this thread is continued. The twelve apostles are are sent out by Christ on a mission. And uh, he gives them various instructions. Uh, I'm just going to concentrate on one of them this morning. Um, but, but by and large, the various instructions are emphasizing two points. Um, they're, they're emphasizing the urgency of their mission, and they're emphasizing the fact that they are, they're to go on independence upon God. You know, they're not to take, you know, two, uh, tunics or, you know, they've got to take no money in their belts and so forth. But the thing that is highlighted, um, is the potential that they will not be welcome in certain places. And so, you know, you can, you can visualize this. They rock up to whatever village it is out in the countryside. And they introduce themselves and say, uh, we are the apostles of, of Christ. Uh, he sent us out on, on this trip uh, as, as his representatives. We're, we're here as, as his messengers. Um, you probably have heard that he has been going around himself uh, and he has been teaching and he's been sharing his gospel about who he is and how people are to repent and to believe and to accept the kingdom of heaven. Well, he sent us. And uh, we, we were here to say the same thing on his behalf. And that's why we've come uh, to your village today. Are we able to meet in the, in the town hall? Are you able to bring the people together? Or maybe they go around and they're, they're chapping on doors. And he says, you know, the possibility is this, that people will say, sorry, not interested. Um... You know, busy today, got a lot on. Children are on holiday, schools are on strike. You know, plenty to do. Uh, and they and they reject these men, and then they're told, "You just better go on somewhere else." Now, the point I want to 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 emphasise here is what Jesus now says at this point. He says, "If and when." That happens, and that kind of response is what you meet with. Verse 11. When you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. 
Now, you, it's like a symbolic gesture. But, but you can just see them. You know, they, they go out to the kind of last house in the village. They, they go up the main street. And, um, and then the houses get less. And they're just about to leave the kind of perimeter of the, of the village. And uh, they, they deliberately kick their, kick their legs out and their feet out. And, and they're shaking the, the very dust of this place off their feet. Now, what's the point of that? Well, the point of all of that is that they're really disassociating themselves from that place. They're, they're almost kind of renouncing that village. They're, 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 they're separating themselves. They're saying, you know, we've, we've got nothing to do with this place anymore. We came here. They didn't want the message of Christ. And now we're, 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 just, we're just leaving this place and we're separating ourselves from it. Now, this is a warning. A warning to these villages and by extension a warning to us today. And it's a warning about the consequences of, of people rejecting Christ. Because if we reject Christ, I mean, that's not just a kind of neutral decision that, that we make in life. I mean, today, you know, it's just not a little kind of Sunday morning chat uh, that we're having. Um, we just need to remind ourselves that we've read from the Bible. It is the word of God. Uh, we are presenting Jesus Christ as the son of God. You know, we, we had a passage read to us from the book of Revelation earlier on about the throne of heaven. That there is another throne and there is another world and we're just a little part of this. And yet it was to us that Jesus came as the Son of God. And, and what he is saying is immensely important as far as the eternal welfare of our souls is concerned. And there are consequences to how we either accept or reject Christ and his gospel. And what Jesus was saying to his disciples is this, that, you know, in the same way as you shake off that dust, you know, that's not, that's not just shaking off dust. That is a symbolic act that is really conveying the whole idea of how that place, that place will be will be renounced that place will be rejected by me now we don't like to think about all of this and we don't talk about it very much but we have to accept that at times as we sit here you know our own mortality uh, there will be a time when you know if Jesus doesn't come back from heaven as he said he would and he will at some point but if he hasn't come back and returned from heaven, I mean, all of us will die. All of us are going to die. And, and, and death doesn't just finish everything. And we will step beyond that great divide. And, and we will all have to stand before Christ, who, who, who is the judge of all the earth. And, and the point is this. Will he reject me? Will he look on me as he looked on these villages and said, they didn't want me, they didn't welcome me, they wouldn't have me, despite me coming and sending my messengers, they didn't want that. 
And so the dust will be shaken off of my feet of them. You know, Jesus does tell parables that convey this point as well. Talked about people who he said to them, you know, depart from me. You know, I have never known you uh, because of your attitude. Despite now what you say, I know in your heart and in your soul, you, you never accepted or welcomed or embraced me and my gospel. And I now reject you. Now, throughout scripture, this whole idea of God's condemnation is very clear. You know, we read the, the story of Noah. Now, Noah's not just a little children's storybook. Uh, Noah is the, the record of how this earth, in a very short period of time, you know, became totally violent and corrupt, and how God eventually uh, decided to send a flood uh, to wipe the world clean, although he offered a place of salvation and rescue in that ark, but people refused that. Despite Noah, the preacher of righteousness, presenting that message and that warning for years. And, and the judgment of God fell upon our earth. And we still see evidences of that in much of the fossil record. Scripture talks about what happened to the, the land of Egypt. That massive civilization who subjugated the people of Israel. And despite God coming to them and saying through Moses, his representative, you know, let my people go. They hardened their heart and they resisted and they refused to do it. And because of all of that, the plagues fell and Egypt was devastated as the people of God were redeemed. And we could go on. Stories of how there were consequences to people's actions and reactions and belief. And so today it's right that that point is made as a warning. You know, be negligent not to make that point. That there are consequences to rejecting Christ. When Christ himself may well reject the unbeliever. We would do very well to think carefully about this. These lives of ours are very short. Before we know it, you know, we will move out into that vast eternity. And we have to be right with God. We have to be welcomers of Christ. Now the final one. John the Baptist. And uh, John the Baptist and Herod had an unusual relationship. On one hand, on the one hand, Herod had a fascination with John. And yet on the other, an irritation He'd, he'd married his brother's wife, um, Herod had, and John said, you know, that's, that's not, it's not light, it's not acceptable, it's not, it's not lawful. And Herodias held a grudge against John and, and she, she planned to, to do away with him. And, and the remarkable thing, you probably picked it up in the story, is this, that the only way that Herod could actually protect John from his wife was to imprison him. It was the only place he was safe, was being imprisoned. And, and he used to go and he used to listen to him, verse 20, 
when he, when he heard him down in the prison cells, the king used to go down, get the jailer to rattle his keys and open the door, and he would go in and sit in that stone slab, and the old prophet is there, and he would sit down, and he would, he would listen to him speak and preach down in the cells. And when he did that, he was, he was greatly perplexed. And yet there was something about that. And he heard him gladly. There was a fascination with it all. And he admired John. He knew that he was a holy man. Well, the story, as you know, goes on. And it's, it's uh, Herod's birthday. And uh, there's, a, there's a big splash. Uh, more than just balloons and a birthday cake for Herod. Um, he's got all the uh, the society, high society is there, all his commanders and the chief people of of Galilee and the region. And uh, the daughter of Herodias comes in and dances. And 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 at the end of it all, you know, Herod makes this this vow, this this promise: half whatever you want, up to half my kingdom. And. Um, and she, of course, asks for the head uh, of John the Baptist. And this is what it says, verse number 26. This is the point I just want to make. The king was exceeding, exceedingly sorry. He knew he'd made a mistake. That wasn't what he was expecting. He didn't want that to happen at all. He was trying to think, I mean, how, how can I get out of this? And I know what the right thing to do is here. This is a holy man. This is a good man. And, and this is not right. Why, why should anybody ask for this? And why should I be complicit? Why should I be involved in that? And, and then there's another thing that starts to play in his mind. And it's this. All these people are here. You know, they, they, they heard what I said. I mean, I'm feeling the heat and the pressure of that. And I, and I just don't feel I can back down. Because of his guests, he didn't want to break his word to her. And so despite knowing what his conscience is saying and what is the right thing, he, he orders the, the executioner to go to the cells. And this is kind of garish picture of of a child of this woman this daughter being handed up the plate with with the head of john the baptist on it uh, he knew it was wrong and yet he buckled to peer pressure now that I mean, obviously it's a very extreme example but the point is he he did he didn't just reject the voice of his conscience he, he was rejecting the messenger of christ John the Baptist, the man who prepared the way, he, he was the introducer of Christ, preparing the way for the Lord, the man who pointed and said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Undoubtedly, it would have been Jesus that John was speaking to him about down in the cells, who he'd said on one occasion, You know, he must increase, I must decrease. I must get into the background so that Christ can come into the foreground. So everybody can understand his importance. And, and he's, he's rejecting not just John, but John's message and John's saviour. You know, there is a bit of a, 
a postscript actually to this. It's not in this passage. We read it later on. Just before the crucifixion. Herod is in Jerusalem. Pontius Pilate hears about this. And sends Jesus dressed in the garish purple robe brown to Herod. And Herod's delighted. You know, he thinks that, uh, you know, maybe, maybe he'll do a miracle for me. And, and, and he asks him lots and lots of questions. And, and, and the rather chilling thing about that incident is this. that It's recorded quite clearly that Jesus said nothing. Nothing. To Herod. You know that, 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 that's, that's more an emphasis on Christ's judgment of Herod perhaps than anything else. Nothing more to say. No, no more offer of salvation. Nothing I'm now going to say to you Herod. Because you, you, you didn't just you know, kill off your conscience. You, you've really hardened your heart. And for someone who, who was keen to see Christ. And who was interested at one point in listening to, to God's messenger. You know, along with his men of war, he, he just mocks Christ on that occasion. The crown of thorns and the, and the, and the purple robe. And, and Jesus in his dignity just has nothing further to say. And that is his condemnation uh, of Herod. He didn't have the guts to stand up for what he knew was right. And that's the message I think that comes to us just as we close. There, there is a lot of information. There is a lot of evidence. It's overwhelming as far as the identity of the Lord Jesus is concerned. He is the Christ, the Son of the living God, who we should be compelled to believe in and to follow and to worship. And yet, all too often there are pressures, a lot of the time from people, that we are frightened of. What will they think? What will they say? What will be the, the gossip because of me? What's, what about my reputation? What about the implications for me? And, and we back down in the face of pressure and we weigh things up, although we might not just do it as deliberately as that, but it is a more visceral thing and we, and we, and we, we are weighing things up and, and we fall on the side of rejecting Christ and not complying and going forward and standing up and saying, this is what I believe, this is what I will do. And that is the message that comes to us. Three incidents. All about rejecting Jesus or his messengers. And it, it comes to us today as a, as a warning. And as a wake up call. To think carefully about our response to Christ. And the, and the message is to welcome him. It is to have faith in him. To really believe that he is the son of God. And his death upon the cross was for me and for my sins. And that he is risen from the dead. And that he is in heaven currently. And he will come again to judge the living and the dead. And that he is the most important person that has ever walked upon the face of this earth. And this is real and it's live. And I, I need to make a decision. And I need, I need to accept Rather than reject Jesus and his message. Now shall we pray.
Lord, thank you for bringing us again face to face with your word. So many things that crowd in among our lives and take up our attention and and we're so easily distracted and thank you for this hour when we're brought face to face with the word of God and with Jesus Christ, the son of the living God this morning. And therefore help us to make these clear decisions about our faith in him, about our acceptance of him and about our belief in him and in his gospel and in the message of his cross. We ask that for everyone who's here, that you will help us to take this this message to heart and not be like the people that we've just been considering who for various reasons rejected Christ. So we ask a blessing upon your word that we have heard and that the children have been taught this morning as well as we ask in his name. Amen.